I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me. And he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me. Till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Well, aren't you glad he does care, amen? amen? That's a blessing. Boy, in the world we live in, it's not uh, that often. I don't need these, do I? It's not that often that, uh, you know, we're looking for somebody to care. And he's there to care all along. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 7, we'll read through verse 16 today. We'll just read through the rest of the chapter there, verse 7 through 16. In our Timothy study, we've been dealing with how to become an effective Christian, and um, we've been dealing with the walk, our walk with God. And um, we're going to start kind of a new section. And uh, he, we saw the warning, but now we're going to note the work. <laughs> and so 
Look what it says here in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy prophet may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, Thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again, we've been dealing with Timothy, uh, Paul's protege, his son in the faith. And we know that early on in the letter, we're made keenly aware that the Apostle Paul was concerned for the doctrinal purity of that particular church. And so he sends Timothy to Ephesus for the express purpose of exposing and extinguishing such heresy. The Apostle points out a number of things that need to be addressed. And he would charge Timothy to stand amidst the many obstacles of faith. He was charged to exercise truth in a a climate of increased apathy and apostasy. He was challenged to remain steadfast and unmovable. Whether he was experiencing a mountaintop or whether he was in the valley, the Apostle exhorts him to stand and to remain faithful As pastor of this particular church, Timothy was responsible for the spiritual condition and the climate of the church. Sadly, however, there were those that had put away or thrust away the faith. It says, some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. And the situation in Ephesus was not simply that some people had begun to entertain doubts in their mind and had a few things that they were struggling with, but rather they had deliberately rejected the truth that they had once professed to believe. I mean, in other words, they had become apostates. They had rejected not only their personal faith, but they'd also rejected the faith. Timothy was young. Some have said that he was in his mid-30s, maybe even upper 30s. Others say he was younger. I don't know exactly how old he was. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But we do know that the Apostle Paul calls him a, a young man. I think I'm young. But nonetheless. <laughs> okay. Timothy would prove himself a very capable minister of God, though. He would accomplish his calling in Ephesus. He would stand amongst and amidst the, the, the wolves and he would continue to deliver the faithful message of the word of God and he would continue to stand amidst the trials and tribulations that would come. He had to take, make some tough decisions along the way. He had to take a strong stand along the way and he had to exhibit tremendous compassion. 
And so, the first half of the book of 1 Timothy, we addressed how to build an effective church. The second half of 1 Timothy, beginning in 1 Timothy 3.16, we began to deal with how to become an effective Christian. And we noted that the Apostle Paul, as he begins that portion of Scripture, capsulized the essential elements of the faith and the truth of which the church was to be a custodian in chapter 3, verse 16. And then he goes on to begin to warn Timothy about the apostasy that had already existed in the church and would continue and even grow in his absence one day when Paul would be in heaven. And so he begins to warn him of things. And so we noted then that we are to walk with God. And he extends a warning. And now today we're going to pick up in verse 7, the second part of that verse, and note that Paul expresses the work. He warned him there's going to be, there's going to be apostasy. There's going to be a departure potential. There's going to be those even from within that are going to create havoc, that are going to try to bring division. He goes, but now let me explain to you a little bit about the work and how you're going to face it and how you're going to get the job done, how you're going to remain steadfast, unmovable, both you and the people of God. And so Paul warned Timothy about this apostasy. And... He tells Timothy to refuse profane and old wise fables in verse 7 of chapter 4. And um, he warns him not to allow himself to discuss or even to argue issues that are not relevant to the cause of Christ. I've been mulling that over for quite a while. And as I, I, I look around the world in which we live... There are so many things we waste our time discussing with people that will never be resolved. We waste a lot of time discussing, even debating or arguing a position that will never, ever be resolved this side of heaven. And I think that it's easy. And in that climate, of course, there was a number of Christians that had been delivered out of paganism and there were a number of superstitions that went along with that, that, that type of religious worship and many of those superstitions and those old wise fables and those profane fables kind of made their way and, 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 and kind of made their way into the church and as a result of that they were finding themselves discussing them and well you know what do you believe about this and what do you believe about that and and do you think this is right do you think this is wrong and and paul's warning timothy listen don't get caught up in these conversations of this quasi-religious stuff this this uh supernatural you know stuff i mean is it you know how many angels fit on the end of a pin and and you know did adam have a belly button and and dumb things that make no don't matter at all. And you know what? It's, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in some of those things as well. I mean, he says, listen, be careful that you don't get tied up dealing with issues that are rooted in urban legend or passed down superstitions. And so he exhorts Timothy to, to direct his attention and the attention of those that he's pastoring Simply to the Word of God is their sole authority of faith and practice. Focus on this because this is the truth. This is the Word of God. And although everybody's going to have a position or an idea about certain events or circumstances in the world we live and possibly even religious 
religion and, 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 and those kind of things. He's saying, listen, this is our, our truth right here. Here it is. You know, don't get caught up in all of that discussion and mess because you're not going to accomplish anything. Because if there's not a thus saith the Lord on it, let me tell you something. It's simply your opinion versus my opinion. My opinion versus yours. And you know what? What does that matter in eternity? Think about how many issues we waste time debating, discussing, and even arguing. And even if we're not careful, causing division among people between us and others who we could have reached, but we discussed and dealt with issues that serve no real eternal purpose. And then for we draw this, they, they get this idea, oh, you're, you're one of those people. Or you draw these strong lines in the sand, I want nothing to do with you. Now the message of the gospel can't even be related to them. There's just some issues that don't matter. By the way, I don't discuss certain issues at doors. I don't talk to the lost world about certain things. I could care less what Bible they're using. I could care less how they're dressing. Why do I worry? I'm worried about you. Because you profess Christ. You ought to dress different. And you ought to use the right Bible. And you ought to have some standards in your life. But let me tell you something. A pig doesn't need standards. He loves the slop. And that's his nature. And when we are lost, we are in a sinful nature. We can't help but be that way. Why would we try to make them become what we are striving to be ourselves? And we discuss issues that sometimes serve no purpose. Why would you talk about politics at a door when you're knocking on a door? Why would you discuss gun control at a door with somebody? And only to find out that they don't believe in it, and you do, you've automatically said, well, we obviously have nothing in common. And they go, and I don't want to hear from you either because you're a hate monger and you want to kill people, shoot people, and you don't care about our country or our children because they believe the media's lies. By the way, I do think this, and I, I want you to understand this. I'm going to say this real quickly. Cain did not have a gun. But you want to kill somebody, you'll find a way to do it with or without one. So I just thought I would throw that in. I don't think it's the weapons of choice. I think it's the people behind the weapons. But nonetheless... We discuss those things amongst the world. and We even bring some of that stuff into this church. It becomes futile. And if we're not careful, all it does is separate us. Because, see, this is what brings us together. Not political, not social issues. Biblical truth, doctrine. We need to agree on doctrine, too. It ought to be simple. It's in the Word. So he's trying to tell Timothy, be very careful here. They're going to be bringing in some of those religious ideas they had from paganism. They're going to be trying to incorporate them into your present worship. Do not get into debates and arguments. Simply point to the Word of God. Draw lines based on where God, I draw the lines. God draws the lines. That's what we're to do. As a younger man pastoring a people a people that were saved out of tremendous wickedness, a lifestyle of tremendous sin. And in many cases, they were older than he was. He was sure to find those that would be leery of his leadership and even critical of it. And Paul turns to his protege and he says, okay, I'm going to prepare you to face that challenge. 
I'm going to help you to stand before and help you to understand how to stand before this people who has come out of this gross, immoral lifestyle, having all these skewed ideas of what right and wrong are, as well as this crowd that's probably much older than you or at least older and feels that they have all this experience and who are you to tell us what truth is? I'm going to tell you how to get it done. And so we begin to see him start to do that here in chapter 4. And so we, we begin kind of move on now. We, we continue now with our, our lesson, if you will. 1 Timothy 4, 7. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself... <laughs> Rather, unto godliness. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy here. I'm not saying that it's not applicable to all of us somehow, some way. But remember who he's writing to. He's literally trying to exhort, train, and teach this young man how to pastor this church. And he says to him, Refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Paul says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. The word exercise gives us our, is, is the English word that we have. It, it, it gives us our English word for gymnasium. The Greek term suggests the idea of going into training. And he's, he's given the idea, he's saying, he's telling Timothy that Christians really should be just as determined and just as energetic in training their inner man as some people are about training their bodies. Now, all you have to do, you can go to any gym around. I mean, you can go to any gym and you're going to find that there are, they're just full of people who are exercising to develop their, their muscles, trying to develop coordination, balance, muscle tone, all of those things. They're working hard to do that. You see sweat pouring off their faces. You see their muscles bulging. At least when I used to work out, they saw those things. I said used to. I couldn't fit in my suit jackets. I had to quit. But anyway, right, right, amen. That's right. I heard somebody say right. And, you know, they set goals and they work toward achieving their objectives. They they really are disciplined in their, their pursuit and... Some of them spend considerable sums of money even on equipment, uh, supplements, even food to eat in order to maintain that, that more clean lifestyle so that their physical body can thrive. And Paul is telling Timothy and ultimately the church, he's saying, listen, you should be just as devoted to developing your spiritual well-being as these people are to developing their physical well-being. You need to set some realistic goals in your Christian life. And then you need to allow those goals to grow more difficult as you achieve the smaller goals. See, there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. There's no shortcuts in developing spiritual character. There isn't. There just isn't. I mean, we we are in a culture and a society of fast food. And, and you know, you want something nowadays. You know, you get on the Internet and you have, what's that called? um, uh, What's that stuff? Two-day shipping? Google of Prime? Amazon Prime now. You can pay for 100 bucks a year or something, and you get Amazon Prime. Now you don't even have to wait more than two days to get what you want. And I know that sounds like an eternity if you want it today, but boy, compared to what it used to be like, oh, man. 
And all I'm saying is we are used to getting what we want right now. And the truth is, is that in our spiritual lives, you do not become a spiritual giant overnight. You do not mature in your Christian faith overnight. You do not find yourself maturing and physically, uh, spiritually strong just in a few weeks or a few months. And the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to be facing some real trials. You're going to be facing some real obstacles and some difficulties in your life. And the people of God are going to be facing these same obstacles. They're out in the world. They're trying to separate themselves from their old lifestyle. They're, they're dealing with families and friends that are upset with them and don't understand their, their newfound faith. And there's going to be all kinds of issues that they're going to be facing. He's saying, listen, if that's going to happen and they're going to overcome and they're going to be victorious, they're going to have to exercise themselves rather unto godliness. A famous violinist was asked how many hours a day he practiced. The answer, was a, the answer was a considerable number of hours. A considerable number of hours. He was then asked, what would happen if he stopped practicing? Well, if I do not practice for one day, he said, I know it. I know it. If I do not practice for two days, the conductor knows it. If I do not practice for three days, everybody knows it. That's what he said. Now, can I, let me ask you, could we be so ignorant to think that others cannot tell when we are skipping practice in our Christian lives? I mean, are we really that ignorant? Are we, have we really bought into the lie that we can fail to exercise our spiritual lives and spiritual well-being and folks not notice, especially those that are closest to us? That's kind of sad to think about, isn't it? I mean, if we stop exercising the spiritual man... Even the world will notice sooner or later. Do you know, you know what a real tragedy and travesty is today in the, in, the, in the church? Is that the composition of membership of the church looks more like the composition of the lost world than it does the saved believer. That's a problem. That is a problem. Our, our attitudes, our outlook, our speech, our, our positions, our, our, our dialogue, our conversation, even our appearance at times, we look and act and think and talk more like the world. And we wonder, oh, nobody probably, I'm, I'm still going to church faithful. Really, I got to tell you, the world has noticed you are no longer training spiritually. And people around you notice they probably just don't want to say anything because they know what you're going to say. Don't judge me. Who do you think you are? Worry about yourself. So they go, you know what, it ain't even worth it. But they notice. Sir, your wife notices. She may not say anything because she knows what she's going to get. And man, your husband probably notices, but he knows better. How sad is it 
if we fail to exercise the Spirit sooner or later, it is noticeable. Paul, not wanting there to be any misunderstanding concerning the physical and the spiritual exercises, he then contrasts the two. Look at verse 8 of 1 Timothy 4.8. Look at that. He says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Now again, to some of those that were in the church at that time, as Timothy begins to relay these messages, some of them I'm sure were thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, it's important that we're healthy, and it's important that we have a right kind of diet. I mean, isn't the body the temple of the Lord? And just because I'm involved in sports and I'm involved in gymnastics or involved in, in, at the gym and I'm working out, I mean, why, why are you getting on my case? And that was not what Timothy was doing at all. That's not what Paul had in mind at all. He had no problem at all with the people of God taking care of the, 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 the temple. But what he was saying is, is that the physical is relatively unimportant compared to the spiritual. He's trying to help them understand there are some priorities in your life. As a newfound believer or as a, a child of God, the exercising of the Spirit takes precedence and priority. Remember, there's apostasy that has already begun to take root within the context of this church. And Paul said, listen, it's not going to get better. As I leave the scene, there's only going to be more wolves and you're going to have to be putting out fires. You're going to have to be dealing with problems. And he said, you better exercise yourself into godliness. You better understand that it's more important than the physical because in the end, that's what's going to matter most, the spiritual. According to data by Market Data Enterprises, a market research firm that specializes in tracking niche industries or specific types of industries, Americans spend over $60 billion annually to try to lose pounds on everything from paying for gym memberships and joining weight loss programs to drinking diet soda. $60 billion plus. Hold on a second, though. Americans spend upwards of $30 billion a year on athletic apparel alone. Isn't that amazing? Almost $100 billion. And that doesn't count everything that would be involved in this. Do you understand what we're talking about here? Think about the emphasis that's being made on the physical today. Think about how, how much we are focusing on the outward today. And let's just quit pretending that, oh yeah, that's them, and then there's us. Let's, let's just be honest. Think about it. If you work out, I mean, I don't know, maybe you walk three times a week. Maybe you, maybe you work out with weights. Maybe you run or jog. Maybe you swim. I don't know what it is you do. But if you do anything like that, I want you to add up the time that you take getting ready to do that, the time you take doing it, and the time you take getting cleaned up to do whatever else you do. Add up the time you spend worrying about this right out here. And then think about how much time you spend preparing the right drink or the right food, if indeed you go that far with it. Add that in too. And then ask yourself this, have I read my Bible that much this week? Have I prayed that much this week? 
Have I even done combined prayer and, and Bible reading? Have I, have I studied? Have I read? Have I focused on the spiritual as much as I have the physical? And sadly enough, the honest truth would probably be no. There's probably not a lot of believers even in the room that spend an hour a day in the Word of God. There's probably not that many that spend a half hour a day in the Word of God and prayer. I mean, it is a reality of life. Well, we can sit here all pretty and pretend that we got it all figured out, but the reality is is that we're just as bad as the church was in Ephesus. We're just like them. And God's saying, listen, bodily exercise profiteth little. And it wasn't that it wasn't profitable. It said in comparison to the spiritual, it profiteth little. And someone says, yeah, but if you're not healthy, then you can't do anything for God. Really? Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Some of the greatest saints that ever lived. Think about the Apostle Paul who had a problem. We don't even know exactly what it was. But what we do know is the Apostle Paul was hindered and hampered. He actually prayed three times to get rid of it because he felt that it would serve him better in the ministry if he didn't have that burden, didn't have that thorn in the flesh. And yet God said, no, it's good for you to suffer like this. Listen, so many saints have done things because they've done it in God's power whenever they couldn't do it on their own. Most of the time when we got this going, this is what we depend on. The word for profitable in this passage, when he says bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. That word profitable means useful. Again, bodily exercise has its, its, its place and it, it has its value in this life. But what the apostles trying to get, help Timothy understand as well as the people of God in Ephesus is that godliness affects every area of your life. See, godliness is like one of those garments. Remember we talked about the garments? It's like a garment that stands out in your life. Regardless of your age or social standing or your walk in life, it just stands out. John Philip expositor and writer, he made a statement. He said, a physically handicapped saint is undoubtedly a better man than one who is a magnificent physical specimen but a moral leper. Godliness can grace a plowman's cottage as fittingly as a bishop's palace, a barrack room, a barrack room as well as the halls of Congress. Godliness brings beauty to pulpit and pew. It silences the scoffer, shames the profane, confounds the critic, exposes the hypocrite, and refutes the unbeliever. Bodily exercise, at best, profits a person for the 70 or 80 years of his lifespan. But godliness, which has its roots in eternity, outlasts the galactic empires of space. It comes from God and lasts forever. Isn't that something? I'd have stole that if I thought I could get through it without saying it wrong. That's good. You say, what's an example of this? Well, Enoch's an example of that. Look in Hebrews 11.5. Hebrews 11.5. In Hebrews 11.5, we're reminded of Enoch. In Genesis, we met him. We're being reminded of him now. Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death 
and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch was translated to heaven so, quote, that he should not see death. God said, I'm going to take him to heaven so he doesn't have to see death. Was it because he was rich or powerful or clever? We don't know. But the resounding response should be no. If it was the case, God would have made it clear. I'm taking him to heaven because he was so clever, because he was so amazingly intelligent, because he was so cunning and so crafty. He didn't say that. So that's not why he took him. He was raptured because he had this testimony, basically, that he pleased God. Can you believe that? That's awesome. And Enoch's been in heaven for thousands of years now. And, and, and basically, he's the type of all of us who, as the Bible says, have this promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. He, he's just that, he shows us this is what we will be. We'll be translated. Remember, if Jesus Christ returns before we physically die, guess what? We're going to be go up just like Enoch did, translated. We put so much emphasis in this world, in this life. It's all about this and it's all about that. Unfortunately, we forget about the fact that we have the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So, having stated that godliness is preferred over bodily exercise, Paul then writes in 1 Timothy 4.9. Notice what he says now. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is a faithful saying, he says, and worthy of all acceptation. Now, this is the second time that we've we've noted that phrase or statement from the Apostle Paul. We've seen it twice. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 15, and now we see it here in chapter 4, verse 9. In chapter 1, verse 15... And says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So we see that statement. And in this case, he says <clears throat> that Christ came, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. And in verse, chapter 4, verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. What's he referring to again? that bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Amen. You see, so now we have the two. So what do we learn from the two as we close this out? First of all, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul affirmed the ground of godliness. Think about it for just a minute. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says... This is, fa- this is a faithful saying where they have all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That is the ground of godliness. Do you realize that your godliness comes because of Christ? It has nothing to do with you. Our godliness is a direct result of Jesus Christ in us. And so what we find is the ground of godliness in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. But notice in 1 Timothy 4.9, Paul affirmed the greatness of godliness. Now he says, listen, godliness trumps physical exercise or physical stature or ability. 
By the way, every young man and every young lady in this room, do not get hung up on whether or not you look like a supermodel. Because God's not as interested in your outward appearance and what you appear to the world as He is how your heart appears to Him. And I know that's easy to say and someone says, well, yeah, but you're old, so therefore none of that stuff matters to you. And that's why I'm still trying to lose 10 pounds. Because it don't matter to me yet. Oh, it does matter to me. I can't stand going to Muscle Beach in California not looking good. That happened one year. (laughs) Don't go to Muscle Beach. (laughs) Oh, brother, thank you. I appreciate that. Wow, now that's some advice right there, brother. I ought to heed that one right there. So here we go. Paul affirmed the ground of godliness in chapter 1, verse 15, and then he, he, he affirmed the greatness of godliness in chapter 4, verse 9. So in the first faithful saying, he told us how to get godliness. In the second one, he's saying, he, he tells us where it will get us. So we, we get told how to get it in the first faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. But then in the second one, where it's going to get us. And then also in that first one, he reminds us of our old nature as, uh, as sinners. But in the second one, he reminds us of our new nature as saints. Isn't that good? And then finally, the first one reminds us that the Lord Jesus came into the world to redeem us. You know, to buy us back out of sin. The second one reminds us that the Lord Jesus will come back to receive us. Well, that's a good promise. Amen? See... This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. There they are. But then the first Timothy 4, 9 says, basically referring back to verse 8, bodily exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So what he's saying is it's, it's a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. He's saying there's no doubt about it all. It's settled. This is a reality, verse 8, is a reality. Now, as we close this out, I wonder tonight, what do you put the majority of your emphasis on? Wouldn't it be sad to think that a lady spends an hour prepping her face, getting ready to leave the house every morning, but she won't even spend 15 or 20 minutes with the very one who saved her soul? Wouldn't that be a sad reality for a believer? A man will jump right out of bed and run to work and work 12, 16 hours to make extra money for his family, but he won't spend 15 minutes with God. How sad is that? Worried about the physical. We don't care about the spiritual is what we're basically saying. And he's saying, listen, bodily exercise profiteth little. And what he's saying is little compared to the spiritual. How much time are you spending cultivating the spirit? How much time are you spending working out the spiritual man, stretching and and preparing and disciplining your spiritual man. How many verses have you memorized lately? How many times have you done a personal study because a word or a phrase or a verse stood out and you just didn't quite get it and you thought, I need what's there. And I'm going to spend some time tracking down some words. I'm going to spend some time digging a little bit. I think I read a verse like that. I can't remember where it was, but I'm going to find that verse. When was the last time you did that? 
I'm just saying, and somebody says, well, who are you to ask that question? I'm your pastor. That's my job. See, I'm Timothy to you. I'm Timothy. Not quite as young, but I'm Timothy. And I'm responsible for the spiritual well-being of Community Baptist Temple. And I want the people of God to be spiritually strong. The rest of it falls into place. I'm telling you it does. Emphasize the spiritual in your life. Do not focus on the physical. You will be sadly disappointed when you lay on your deathbed. It may seem to be paying off in this life, but you have an eternity still that remains. Do not lose sight of eternity. And so Timothy is being mentored and encouraged and taught by Paul the Apostle. And he's saying, listen, this apostasy is coming. You've seen it. You've had to deal with it. You're a young man. And many of your parishioners are older than you. And the fact is, is that many of them are coming out of gross immorality and sin, paganism. And you're going to have to deal with some things. Focus on the spiritual. Do not get caught up in buying into the Olympic Games. They were huge in that day, right there where Paul was. Don't get caught up in all of that mess. Don't lose sight. Don't think that's the goal and that's the victory. Nothing wrong with training. Nothing wrong with getting strong. But don't allow it to overshadow your spiritual. The spiritual needs to take precedence over the physical. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just uh, your word. We thank you for just the simplicity of it. And 